and I get back to the parking lot, call my wife. I'm like, I just did a mountain bike ride. I actually felt really good. I mean, I just did one lap at Cannesburg, but it felt great. And she calls me, she's like, you did what? happened and and my heart wasn't beating I wasn't breathing and so uh um, she you know grabs her phone calls 911 puts it on speaker and um and just starts immediately doing CPR it's heavy sorry it's a you know, I've, I've told this story gosh I don't know how many times but it's uh it's it's very hard when you uh you know, to start telling when you, when you bring the, the, the family into it. Yeah. So take your time, man. And honestly, this is, um, it's vulnerable space for anybody. Um, and I can only imagine for, for you to relive it, uh, brings up some, some heavy emotions. So, um, yeah, you've got all the permission to, <laughs> to take as much time as you need. No, I, pr- I appreciate that. Um, so, um, so, you know, we don't live near, near town we don't have a um an ambulance real close so um she did cpr for uh for 15 minutes before uh um you know before first responders arrived so um which i I believe there were some like local volunteer uh firemen um and then you know then an ambulance showed up um soon after that so so about 15 minutes um you know one of the first responders, um, came into the house and, and, uh, um, fortunately the kids slept through all of this. They, they did not wake up, which I, I don't know how that's possible. Uh, but they, they didn't. So, um, you know, I'm, I'm, think about what a blessing that is. Oh yeah. Man. Yeah. I'm, I'm, I'm immensely grateful for that. Um, I mean, nobody got through this without some trauma, you know, some trauma, but, uh, but that would have been, that would have been awful. So, so, so Ted was have Ted yeah. had a heart attack like full on. Well, yeah, cardiac arrest. So there's a you know distinction. You can have a heart attack and, and your heart can continue beating. Okay. Um. So this uh, a full cardiac arrest is when your when your heart completely stops, seized up. So nothing's moving. Nothing's moving. There's no blood being pumped through your body. Correct. So Debbie's working on you for 15 minutes until the EMTs get get there. Correct. And if you, if you've ever done a, like a CPR class, most of them will make you do CPR, uh, for a minute and it's exhausting. Like a minute of CPR, it's, it's exhausting. And my wife's not a, you know, she's not a large framed individual. She's pretty petite. So, um, I can only imagine what she looked like after 15 minutes. Um, but you know, it goes to show like you just, you know, when, adrenaline and that you get that dopamine rush and you have to, you know, you have to do something, you find a way to do it. So, you know, she was able to do that. And, um, I mean, that was the, you know, that's why I'm here today. Um, she was able to, you know, one, (laughs) keep me alive, right. To, uh, to keep the blood pumping, but also keep the blood pumping to my brain, which is the most important part. And the fact that, she was there like immediately. That was a huge part of that. Like really oxygen never stopped being delivered, um, to my brain for any, you know, meaningful amount of time. Um, so, 
So yeah, uh, first responders show up, they take over. It was about 20 minutes I went without a heartbeat. Um, and so, yeah, I mean, if you look statistically, um, you know, the chances of surviving a cardiac arrest, um, outside of the house, it's, you know, I, I think it's less than 3%. So, and that's, you know, that's, Obviously, obviously, that's a pretty, pretty bad, you know, pretty bad percentage. And then that's I, that's survival. But we're talking to you, yeah, with your mental faculty intact. Correct, correct. And and that's uh, um, and then you know after five minutes that goes down exponentially. After ten minutes, you know, it continues to go down. Um, so at twenty minutes, it's like, I mean, you know. There, a lot of places would not continue CPR at that point. Um, they did get an AED um, on me. So this is, you know, where they, you've seen it before. It's a portable device that can shock your heart back into a normal rhythm. And so they were going to continue doing CPR until they were able to administer an AED. Um, you know, the first two shocks, they got nothing. The third shock, they were able to get a heartbeat. So, um so that, you know, they get the heart beating again. And you, you got to remember, too, my wife worked in, you know, traumatic brain injuries for years. So um, a lot of her patients had gone through similar things. So she knows, like, you know, she's doing this, the math in her head. And she knows what these statistics are. And she's already, you know, you know, obviously, she's concerned <laughs> primarily that I, I survived this. But um, you know, she's thinking like, what does this look like? You know, uh, how does this, how, how does he come back from this? What a because, crazy mix of, um, of emotions. Yeah. I mean, it's one of those where I'm like thankful that she, you know, spent that time in, in healthcare and, uh, and knew exactly what to do and knew, you know, it's because of that, that I'm, you know, I'm here. Uh, but I, there's a part of it. It's like, man, I wish she didn't know that. Cause she could have just, you know, like, ah, you know, once his heart gets going, he'll be good to go. Um, so anyway, I get to the hospital and, um, you know, they're, they're doing a barrage of tests on me. They have, you know, they put me on a ventilator. Um, they have me, you know, I'm in critical condition, but, uh, um, but obviously alive, um, and they're just trying to figure out, you know, what happened, right? Like looking through every system of the body, just trying to figure out, you know, what, what could have possibly caused this, you know, I'm, I'm a lot, you know, a lot younger than your typical cardiac arrest patient. Um, you know, seemed to be in, uh, in good health, didn't have any history of issues or anything like that. Um, and they really weren't finding anything. So, uh, it was kind of, kind of going nowhere. And so we were, you know, so I, they kept me in a medically induced coma for, for several days. And, um, um, you know, as they, I'll, I'll never forget, like they, they, they brought me, well, all of this is like my wife retelling the story to me. So sure. I, I think this is, yeah, it's a good point to stop and point out that I have no memory of any of this happening. I don't remember that weekend. I don't remember um, most of that summer, to be brutally honest. So, oh wow, uh, really? So yeah, I have, I, you know, I, I didn't get out of this completely with no, uh, you know, with no neurological, um, you know, effects. But uh, um, 
so this is this is a lot of my wife sort of retelling the story. But uh, so that's interesting. So like um, back to like the duck hunt. You don't remember the duck hunt with your dad? Nope. Don't. Nope. I didn't even know I duck hunt until I saw pictures later. I'm oh, like, okay. Oh. Oh, that looks like that was a gorgeous day. <laughs> oh, yeah, you were there. <laughs> okay. So, uh, yeah, yeah. I, I mean, I guess it goes, I mean, it follows. It makes sense yeah, that yeah. it wouldn't, it, it just doesn't work like we oftentimes try to compartmentalize things and we store, you know, we store your story in chronological order right up until the minute you hit right. the ground. But that's, it's just not the way it goes. Yeah, yeah. So, uh, so after a few days, you know, they, they slowly, bring you out of this, uh, this medically induced coma, um, while they're doing, you know, barrage of testing. And, um, and I, I remember waking up, um, and apparently this happened several times. So my poor wife had to watch me wake up, like, tell me what happened. So I remember waking up and she's like, and I just see the bright lights, right? Just bright white lights. And, um, and Deb's there and she's like, you're, you're okay. You're in the hospital. You had a cardiac arrest, but you're okay. The kids are okay. You know, everyone's fine. You're going to be fine. Um, but you're going to be here for a while. And, um, and you know, she had to retell that like four times because, you know, when they bring you out of this coma, you're, uh, you kind of wake up, you're real foggy, and then you go back to sleep. And then you wake up. And so she wrote down like a little script to say, you know, each time, um, which I'm sure was just brutal each time. But, um, but yeah, so I, I, you know, I remember the last time she did it and, uh, and I couldn't talk. Um, were you still intubated at that, that point? Uh, no, okay. no. So, um, but I just, you know, my brain was real foggy. I didn't really know what was going on. I was very emotional. Um, just not understanding, you know, what was happening. Um, and so, you know, she's, and she was, uh, I was there, I think another eight days and, you know, each day just had a little bit, a little bit more clarity. Um, but I remember it's probably after maybe two days after, you know, after I had, had come to and, you know, they had, uh, they're still doing all kinds of testing, trying to figure out, um, what it was. And, um, and so they decided, you know, cause they couldn't figure it out. They're like, well, we're going to, you know, we're going to do, um, uh, we're going to put in a defibrillator, you know, an, an implant in case it happens again. So I knew that I was going to have to have that surgery before I went home to have the implant put in. Um, and that it was going to be several days and I just wanted to get back home and like, you know, I'd seen the kids, but, uh, um, but I just wanted to, you know, I, I just wanted to get back to normal life, but I, I couldn't walk very well really <laughs> at all. Um, and, uh, talking was very hard because they, you know, they shoved that trach down my, you know, down my throat so, so quickly to, you know, which is understandable, but I had a lot of damage to my, my trachea. Your vocal cords so, are all messed up. Yeah, so I can't talk. I really can't walk. Um, I thought that I was pretty good, like from a cognitive standpoint. And they had a, uh, a neurologist come in to do some testing. And my wife said, she's like, you need to, you know, really focus like for this testing. 
and like they're going to ask you some questions and um you know you need to answer them and think about your answers mm-hmm. and um and she knew this testing she'd like administered this herself a bunch of times so um debbie's fighting for your basically your trajectory of care right now she's basically yeah. going hey you got to set a baseline for yourself so they they've got something to fight for yeah yeah um and so i'll never forget they asked me and i'm thinking i'm going to knock this out of the park cuz just like i could I felt like I was doing really well. Like I was good with the kids' names, my wife's name, and and um, you know knew where I was and was kind of understanding what was happening. Um, and so the doctor says, um, "I want you to name uh, name the last three presidents um, going backwards." And I'm thinking, "Great!" They threw a softball to me, right? And you know, at the time, uh, you know, Trump was president and, and, uh, I could, I could picture his face I could picture, you know, I could picture him, could picture Obama, could picture Bush. I could not think of any of their names and, or the order that they were president. And that's when it really like hit me. I'm like, wow, I, I've got a bit of a road here <laughs> to get, to get back. And so I just said, I'm like, I don't know which was like just heartbreaking, right? Because you could kind of see like the look on her face. Like she's like, can you name who's president right now? And I was like, I can't, I'm sorry, you know? And so, and of course, they're like, it's okay, it's fine. This is perfectly normal. And so, so yeah, that was, um, so she leaves, comes back a little later. And I'm, you know, I'm just asking about like, long-term prognosis now and i'm like all right so you know when when do you expect that i'd be able to get back to work um and she says well optimistically i would say six months and she's like but that's you know it's it's kind of hard to say like what your new ceiling might be from a cognitive level um you know you like that's best case scenario. You might not get back to work as you know it. Um, you know, she knew I was a sales rep, so um, so that was you know. I'm all of a sudden I'm just like, wow. You know, are we going to lose our house? <laughs> like, what what what's this gonna? You know, how how is this going to change things, right? And so uh, so that was pretty. You know, that was pretty crushing. And then just physically, I was struggling. I'm like, am I ever going to? You know, and they had even said they're like, you need to wrap your head around the idea that you might not like be able to be, you know, a runner per se. I mean, not that's not to say that you might not run again, but it's definitely not going to be like you know, like it was. And so, uh, so I'm you know, wrapping my head around the idea like, have I done my last races? Am I going to be able to to work a normal job? Um, you know, what does all of this look like? Um, and fortunately, you know, over the next couple of days, things progressed um, dramatically. So, uh, wow. and they even said, like, they've never seen, you know, a recovery like that for someone that had gone that long um, to be able to, you know, to be walking laps around the, you know, that once they got me out of the ICU, I was walking laps around that, that wing of the, the hospital and finally I'm like, look, can we ditch the, the hospital gown? Like I can put on sweatpants and, you know, and, and 
I was able to get rid of the walker. Now I was still connected to, a, they were monitoring. They still hadn't figured out what's wrong. So they're still continuously monitoring me. So I'm, you know, walking around with, uh, you know, with all these things hooked up to me. But, uh, um, but you know, even though I was, you could barely hear what I was saying, um, you know, the cognitive side of things started to come back really quickly too. So, uh, so that was, that was pretty promising. And then, you know, um, they wanted to do a little bit more testing on my heart again. They wanted to see if they could actually recreate a cardiac arrest because um, they really couldn't find what happened to me. So, like, you know, we're going to be in there anyway because we have to hook up this defibrillator. So what we'd like to do is um, basically take control of his heart, and they use this, like, you know, it's kind of a metal wand, and they can control the speed that your heart uh, beats. And so they're like, we're going to try and recreate an arrest and see if we can, you know, figure out on an ECG what happened. And so they cranked my heart up to, uh, it was over 300 beats a minute and still couldn't get it to arrest. So, um, so I said, well, you know, we're pretty sure like it's not, you know, it's not something where, you know, a real high amount of stress is what caused it. Right. And so, uh, so they decided to take, you know, a few more, uh, you know, a few more basically looks at the heart. Um, and they found it was, I think it was the third, uh, the third was an EKG, I believe third EKG they took. Um, they saw one little blip and, uh, and they're like, that's, you know, that's, that's unusual. And, uh, what they found was an extra nerve signal, um, going through the heart and it's called Wolf Parkinson white. And it is known to trigger, you know, it's extremely rare. It's like, it's, it's extremely, extremely rare, but, uh, um, it is known to, you know, possibly, um, trigger cardiac arrest. So some people can go their whole life without having a cardiac arrest if you have it, but, uh, but it can, it can trigger one. So, uh, so that's kind of like the diagnosis they gave me. Um, and it's, you know, it's not a genetic thing. It's, uh, it's like I said, extremely rare. Um, and really that's just kind of, you know, diagnosis by process of elimination too. We could, we still can't say a hundred percent certainty that that's what it is, but that is why I have a implanted defibrillator too. Incredible amount of vulnerability. Um, thank you. Incredible amount of fortitude from your treasured wife who had to f physically dive into, into a task no wife ever wants to have to dive into. Knowing within her skill set and her field, knowing the details created an insurmountable obstacle. She was climbing her own Everest on, on, on so many scales. Absolutely, yeah. I mean, it's... Uh, um yeah, I mean, she's had quite a road too. Just, you know, I, I was I'll talk a little bit about just like the, the the mental health side of it. Like, um, you know, I've I've never gone to counseling since the event, um, and, and and I feel like I've done really well. You know, um, as far as just being able to process everything, um, but I didn't experience the event itself. 
you know, I experienced everything that happened afterwards. And, uh, and not that that's, I mean, that's a lot too. Um, but really, you know, from the moment that I, you know, was brought up to speed on kind of what happened, everything was progress at that point. So, um, so it's, it's all been very positive for me, um, in the sense of, you know, and we'll get into it in a minute here, but I mean, obviously I'm, I'm here today. I've got a great job. I've got like, you know, things are going well for me today, but, uh, um, but you know, she had to, she had to watch her husband die. It's so, um, you know, that's, that's not, um, Obviously, the outcome is it, we're, we're very fortunate, um, but that's you know that, that's a lot for someone to have to you know, have to process mm. and and you know you can imagine just everything she she went through in those in those several hours because it was touch and do- go for you know it wasn't like once they got a heartbeat you're like whoo yeah we're you good. said you were in the ICU like, for eight days yeah yeah so I was <laughs> it was uh, um, you know for for at least a few days it was very uh, you know, I was on thin ice for sure. Um, just not knowing, you know, again, even if I did survive it, would I be, you know, able to communicate it? What does that look like? Right. And, and so, yeah, that's, you know, she's processing all that and what that means for the kids. She, you know, she had to talk to the kids. I didn't have to do that. Yeah. Yeah. um, That's hero territory. So, yeah, I mean, she, you know, she had to talk to, you know, my parents. Um, so that's, you know, I mean, that's, <laughs> you know, that, that, that's a lot, a lot of responsibility already kind of thrust her way. So, so yeah. she's, that's been, you know, that's been a lot for her. Um, yeah. You know, just lots of, uh, um, you know, lots of things that, you know, just watching TV and you'd see someone, you know, where they're doing CPR. I mean, and yeah, she's, there's triggers you know, everywhere. She sees that. And they come out of nowhere. It's, it's, it's awful. Yeah. I'm sure. So, and then just like, you know, in the middle of the night, you know, having those nightmares and things oh, like that. Yeah. It's all gotten a lot better. So it's, uh, I will say it's good. You know, it's been, she's, um, you know, she's gone to counseling for that and that's, that's helped a ton. And she's been very, you know, um, very vocal about, you know, the importance of doing that. If you, if, if you, um, are experiencing any kind of, you know, mental trauma like that, um, yeah. you know, our girls have been, um, you know, again, they slept through it. So, um, Emily, the older one, so she was in like fifth grade at the time. So, she wasn't really able to, uh, you know, once she knew I was okay, I mean, Debbie definitely protected the kids from, um, from, you know, thinking like something terrible. Uh, you know, she told once, (laughs) once she knew that I had had a heartbeat and was like somewhat stable, she's just like, dad's going to be okay. Just, you know, he's going to be in the hospital for a long time, but, um, but just don't worry. Like things are going to be okay. Mm. And, and, um, but she was able to be a little bit more, you know, forthcoming with Emily, the older one and, and, um, and let her know that, you know, things are, um, you know, like it's, it's pretty touch and go and that, you know, dad's got a long road, uh, back, 
um, Anna didn't really get that. And so she was sort of left to sort of, um, you know, she, she just didn't really know what, what happened. And so Hmm. years later, um, you know, now she's a little bit older, um, and she kind of wants to know, you know, what was happening and in in fuller detail. Yeah. Yeah. And so, you know, having to like unpack that and, um, you know, was, was tough, tough for her. And she, you know, that was pretty scary as, as well. And she's like, wait, so, you know, he basically, you know, he basically died and, you know, now he's back. And, and so there's this fear that, um, you know, she has, she has a little bit of, you know, she experiences a little bit more trauma from this, mm. um, than, than I guess em, Emily. And so, you know, we've got her doing some counseling, which has been great for her as well. Um, and, uh, yeah, it's just great to have those, you know, professionals to talk to. Yeah. That's really help cool. With that side of things. But, uh, um, two daughters, how old were they at the time? Oh gosh. So I still have kind of a foggy memory. Do you? Uh, yeah. Yeah. I'm terrible with dates and names. Okay. And, and it's funny. I'll like struggle with like uh, family member names <laughs> a little bit sometimes. Oh, that's really interesting. But, uh, yeah. Uh, it's something I've, I've, I've it can work. Fair through. enough. But, uh, yeah. So they were, I think Anna was, I think Anna was six and Emily was nine or maybe Anna was seven okay. and, Anna, and Emily was 10. Okay. So, so, you know, Anna was definitely too young to be like explaining what was happening. Yeah. You know, and now, three years removed and a mountain of progress yeah. after the fact, you still have to turn around and relive it as part of your duty, as part of being a, a nurturing father yeah. and a loving husband. You have to enter into that pain when randomly you're just trying to enjoy a bowl of popcorn and yeah. on on the TV comes you know, some sort of AED device and triggers Debbie. We didn't even really process this for much out, outside of a chuckle or two. You had to endure somebody waking you up and saying, life as you knew it is not going to be the same. Yeah. Yeah. Um, just knowing knowing you from our limited time together ushers me into this space where I go, Ted's always kind of been a tough, tough guy. Um, this is real vulnerable space for somebody to be telling you, you almost, you almost shouldn't be hearing me right now. Uh, you got a lot of details and a lot of backfill and to have to trust somebody else to tell your story has got to be an exposed feeling, especially coming from a guy who goes, yeah, I like details. Really like to measure all the, all the, the measurables Yep. for somebody like you who's wired that way fully rely on a team of doctors and your wife to go, here's everything. And we have a huge giant question mark in front of us. That's got to be real vulnerable space. Yeah, for sure. And then, I mean, you know, now I just, for my own peace of mind, I accept that it was the, you know, the Wolf Parkinson white and say, that's the diagnosis. And, and, you know, I just put blind faith and that that was correct. Um, but that wasn't how we felt at the time. We felt like we left the hospital without a diagnosis because there was just so much question marks still. And the fact that they just pick up this little blip on like the third EKG. So there's this whole other, you know, um, I guess period of time for about the next year where, uh, you know, we're worried if it's going to happen again. And so, you know, that, that weighed pretty heavily too. Um, but yeah, I mean, I'm, I, 
I'm pretty stubborn and pretty tough. And like, you know, the idea of being told like I can't do something, um, especially when it comes to like physical stuff, just never really, um, I mean, I never really bought into it, you know, as an athlete, I never really bought into it. I am not your typical like endurance athlete body build. And I've definitely more than, you know, um, more than proved people wrong from time to time yeah, there. Like and, we uh, should probably put a little context around even just to give the, the listeners a better idea. Like Ted's, um, Ted's six, six, one and easily, yeah. easily fits like the, the Clydesdale class of runners. When you, when you oh, break yeah. down the runners, he's not, he, he's not Dathan Ritzenhine. No, like, no, no. Ted I'm, does not look like your typical endurance I'm, athlete. Yeah. I'm six, four. I mean, and even like I rode Leadville at six, four, 215 pounds. Um, Are you that tall? So, okay. yeah. So, uh, so yeah, that gives you an idea. Like no one would ever say, "Gosh, you should do that on a single speed." You don't need you like don't for need sure. When people do. see Ted and they go track and field, your mind goes to field. Yeah, but I was—I mean, I was a high jumper at, <laughs> at, at six four two twenty. Exactly, so, just like shattering um, expectations. Yeah. But so so when they yeah. told me, you know, what the first few days was definitely, you know, I had those same questions. But I, I will say that when when we got to once we got closer to me getting out of the hospital, they were still saying like, yeah, it'll probably be you know, like months and months and months before you're like, you know, going to be driving or going to be, you know, running. And at that point, I'm like, look, man, I'm knocking out these laps like nothing <laughs> on this hospital floor. I'm going to be out there running next week. And so I get home, and Deb's like. I got to go to work. <laughs> so, which is crazy. I mean, that in and of itself is just a crazy story. The fact that like she's supposed to start her first day at her new job the day after Labor Day and has to call them and be like, I'm not going to be here for My a while. Life just My changed. husband just had a cardiac arrest. So, yeah. so finally we get her back and, you know, fortunately both of our employers were extremely, obviously great through all of this. But, uh, um, so I'm left at home like alone um, kids are back in school. My wife's, uh, my wife's at work and, uh, you know, this is, this is maybe, I think, let's see, this is maybe a week or two out of the hospital. I think it was two weeks out of the hospital. And, uh, and I decide like, I'm going to go for a run. <laughs> I'm good. Are you serious? And so, so I, uh, I go for like a two mile run and I mean a mile in, I've got all this like shooting pain around my abdomen. I'm thinking, oh crap, am I having another cardiac arrest? Um, Cause I've got all this pain. Well, as it turns out, it's really, it wasn't my heart. It was just scar tissue surgery. trauma from like surgery. Right. But I thought, I don't know if I want to do that again. That that's like pretty, you know, that, that, that was not a good feeling. So uh, running has always kind of spiked my heart rate a little bit more than biking, right? Biking, I'm able to keep it a little bit lower and just maintain it and watch it because I can stare at a screen that's got my my heart rate on there. So uh, so about a week later, so this is, you know, we're getting to where it's almost a month from my cardiac arrest and I uh, um, I decide I'm going to go for, for a bike ride, a mountain bike ride out of Cannonsburg. And I'm like, I know I'm not, you know, it's crappy fitness and everything, but I'm just going give to it give it a shot. So I go out there. And it was slow, but I was like, gosh, I feel great. Like I was able to push some climbs and I get back to the parking lot, call my wife. I'm like, I just did a mountain bike race or a mountain bike ride. 
actually felt really good. I mean, I just did one lap at Cannesburg, but it felt great. And she calls me, she's like, you did what? And I, I think it was maybe a day or two before that, that I got my driver's license back that they're just like, you know, I had to prove to a, a neurologist that I was, you know, mentally capable. And I'm thinking, man, things are really coming together here. I'm uh, you know, I went from a six month prognosis to getting back to work to, to uh, now I'm, got a mountain bike ride in. I've got, I, I've got my wheels. I can, uh, I can drive again. Um, I called my employer. I was like, Hey, I'm going to start working next week. Let's do this. <laughs> and, uh, everyone's just like pump the brakes, you oh, know, like oh, you're good to go. Um, and, and so really, you know, from then until, until the holidays, I definitely went through this kind of like roller coaster of maybe doing a little bit too much and then backing off and doing a little too much and backing off. But it was very clear by Christmas, like, um, I'm back to work. I'm feeling pretty good. Um, you know, everything's <laughs> like physically feeling good. Um, and then, you know, we get into winter COVID hits in, in February. Oh, so, my word. so, and one of the challenge I decided had with work going back to work was the travel and just the worry that again, what happens if I'm on the road and I have a cardiac arrest and, um, and it was, you know, my wife was worried about this too. And so, and the kids were like, you know, they didn't like me to be gone for any long periods of time because, you know, what if something happens and we're not there? Right. Um, I mean, the fact that this happened and I wasn't traveling is absolutely unbelievable, but um, so now we've got this gift COVID hits the world's shocked. Um, everyone's staying home. They tell all the sales reps like, Hey, you're, you're working from home now. And I'm like, perfect. This is great timing. I'm still getting paid. And, uh, you know, I get to, my family's going to be at ease cause I'll be home all the time and, uh, and I can train. <laughs> and so, uh, um, so I decided I'm like, I'm going to, I'm going to put an event out there. Um, and see if I can, you know, train for something again. I'm like, I don't know what it is, but I think I'm going to get a gravel bike and maybe try and just finish a gravel race. I don't care if it's, you know, some 20 mile podunk race, like I'm going to do that. So I didn't pick anything. I just said, I'm going to get a bike and, uh, and I'm going to, you know, train for something. Right. Um, and so, you know, get into spring and I'm doing more and more biking and it's, it's starting to feel good again. Not like it used to, you know, I, 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 I have to be honest there. Cause not only do we have like, you know, getting over this big, you know, this big health hurdle, you know, now we're over a decade removed from like really competitive biking too. So, um, but I felt like my rides were going pretty well and, um, you know, I get into the summer and I, and, uh, I'm thinking, well, I can probably, I think I could probably do a 50 miler. Um, so I'd kind of, even though I hadn't picked one yet, I was like, I'm going to train for a 50 miler and my rides are going well. My long rides, I'm, you know, I'm feeling good at 30 miles at 40 miles. And then, uh, we get invited to, uh, to my cousin's cabin, um, for a weekend. It's about 70 miles from the house. And I thought, you know what, that's a good, that's a good distance. I can do gravel roads pretty much the whole way there. Um, I'm just going to see, you know, see how I feel and, you know, I've got the, I've got, I had like a 50 miler I was kind of looking at that was a few weeks away. And I was like, if I can do this or get close, um, I'll feel real good about, um, you know, knocking this out. And so, um, we get real close <laughs> to this, this, uh, the 70 miler. And I'm like, man, 
I don't know, like maybe I should think about a hundred. And then a friend of mine reaches out and says, he, he works for a running store and says, Hey, I've got an entry for, uh, for the water move 111. If you want it, I saw you've been training on Strava. I was like 111 miles. Good God. I don't know. Like that's a big jump from 50. I thought, well, you know, let's just see how the 70 miler goes. And so I, I do the 70 miler. It goes great. Like I felt great afterwards. I was, you know, I, I wasn't a complete mess when I got to the house. I mean, we had a good time and I thought, man, I recovered well. I, I can probably do this. So, so then my goal became, all right, I'm going to do this. The, the water moo 111. Uh, that's going to be, that's going to be the big, you know, plant my flag here, right? Put another one on the board. Yep. So, uh, so, you know, it, it was only a few weeks away and my goal is just to, you know, I thought I'll get as close as I can to finishing. My wife will be there. If I have to get picked up at 75 miles, I'm 100% cool with that. You know, uh, I just want to know I started it and get as far as we can get because, because it was hard. It's a hard course. It's not as easy as like these 70 miler I did was pretty flat. Um, but, uh, where is the Waterloo course? Yeah. Yeah. It's Waterloo rec area. So down by, uh, um, uh, Chelsea kind of Southeast. Yeah. Yep. Yep. So kind of close to Ann Arbor. So some hill um, country, very hilly, surprisingly. I mean, going through there, you wouldn't think, but, uh, yeah, like DTE has their mountain bike, uh, course kind of runs through that area too. So, um, yeah, there's some great, great mountain biking, great gravel riding there. So race day comes had perfect weather is cool in the morning, which for August never happens, but just had perfect weather on that day. And, uh, um, you know, 50 miles, I'm feeling great, still riding with some people. And, uh, um, yeah, I got through, uh, um, 75 and, you know, I was definitely, I was definitely getting tired, but, uh, said, so, you know, I'm, I'm going to keep going. I, I, I'm going to finish this. And, uh, and, uh, it was, it was tough. I mean, those last 20 miles were just brutal. It was a death march. The last 10 was it? <laughs> just thankful. There's a lot of pavement those last 10 miles because, uh, um, I was never doubting I was going to finish, but it's well as where you just, man, I cannot find a gear that's comfortable at all. Yeah. Um, so, and it was, it's 110 miles. It's 111 miles. Oh, is it really? Yeah. Okay. So yeah, I was able to, uh, was able to cross the finish line and it was, it was pretty emotional finishing knowing like it was almost a year. I yeah. mean, it was just a couple weeks short of a year and knowing like wow. where I thought I would be, um, a year ago versus, you know, where, uh, where I was at that point, you know, yeah. was, was pretty, uh, you know, it was pretty unbelievable. And I hadn't really talked much about it. I hadn't like, you know, it's not something I put out to a lot of people that I was doing this. Um, I didn't want to, you know, I, it was hard coming back from Leadville and telling everyone like, no, I didn't make it, you know? And so I didn't want to have that again. And I just didn't want to feel bad about it. That was the big thing. I was like, this is whatever happens, like just getting on the start line here is pretty amazing. Right. So, so I, you know, I just wanted to make sure I, I, I felt good about that. So I didn't tell people, but when I finished, I told everybody, I was like, this is awesome. <laughs> I, you know, got through this, uh, this, this crazy race and I was like, I'm definitely doing it again next year. I'm going to train harder <laughs> and I'm going to, I'm going to, of you know, course, I'm, I'm going to crush it. I, I can't imagine it going any other direction, but told me about the second, the grand, the grand Island was a, was 
a thumbs down. Yeah. It didn't work out. Yep. Um, so strike one in 05, strike two in 19 or 18, one, one of those. And then a heart attack. Well, not even a heart attack, a full-on cardiac arrest. Should be game over. You get a re- you get a, a, a chance at redeeming all three, and you cross the finish line at Watermoo at mile 111 after all that went down. That's a, that's a big chunk of catching up in two hours, man. Yeah, it's a lot. <laughs> I know. I, I feel like I should be 65 years old with, uh, with all of that. It's been quite the, quite the journey. I mean, I tell everyone, I'm like, just make sure, you know, everyone says live every day like it's your last. Um, if there's any gift in this, I wouldn't wish this on anyone, but um, I, you know, I truly have that appreciation. Like it could all be gone tomorrow, you yeah. know, um, then that's, you know, that's how I, that, that's how I live my life. I mean, obviously you still have bills to pay. You got to make, you know, you got to be a good dad and, and you still have to prioritize everything, but um, but it's no joke. Like, doesn't matter who you are, how healthy you are, how, you know, how, what protections you put in place, it could all go away tomorrow. Um, yeah. and, and I know that. Yeah. There was a way to, to kind of summarize that. I don't know if you can put a sentence together for us, but take a crack at it. Yeah. Yeah. You know, one of the things I like to tell people is that, um, um, tomorrow is a, is a gift, not a given. And that's, mm. you know, again, I don't know. I feel like I probably heard that <laughs> somewhere before, um, but it's just something that really rings true. Tomorrow really is, you know, it is a gift. Make the most of it. There's no guarantee that it's going to it's gonna be there. Ted, uh, I can't say thanks enough. Uh, it's been a real joy getting to spend some time with you. Uh, we are right at a point in time where it's probably good to sign off here. Yeah. Um, I feel like our conversations aren't done. There's, uh, there's so much more uh, that we can chat about. Um, before we, uh, before we break, let's let's do this. Um, tell us a little bit about what you've got going on, uh, career-wise. So you're working with Garmin. And I'm, a, I'm a regional sales manager for Garmin, okay. and then I also uh, I started a. Uh, fishing um, fishing guide business yeah so, so yeah so we're running trips in uh in west michigan here that's and, so uh, cool yeah it's been it's been great uh um uh, another one of those you know things i'd always said when i retire maybe i'll do this and one of those well you know tomorrow isn't a given <laughs> so uh, i've got my health i've got the time i've got the resources and decided to kick this off the ground so i started flat river outfitters and uh and yeah we run trips out of grand rapids here yeah Dude, you know the pastoral heart in me is chomping at the bit to go theological with you. Yep. We're going to save that for <laughs> for river time. Sounds good. <laughs> um, can't wait to uh, to get out on the water with you. Um, I actually I have um, one one fishing trip planned this spring with somebody that you probably know from um, just from some of our, our dialogue before this. But Tom Workman and I are going to go chase steelhead down near Sixth Street. Um, and then uh, I'm looking for something to kind of fill that that uh, summer uh, piece of the the calendar where you go. I need to have something to look forward to. Um, so let's get let's get a smallmouth 
date on the calendar. Let's do it. Yeah, uh, no, I'd love to have you out anytime. Yeah, <laughs> and if uh, if we could do it and chase them with a with a fly rod, that'd be even cooler. So that that's my preference. So uh, yeah, if you can, if you want to sling a rod, that's the that's the way to do it. Cool, so, man. Uh, how uh, how do we find you? And um, yeah, just any closing remarks, and then and then we'll break out of here. So how do how do our listeners track you down if they want to try and spend some time on the water with you as well? Yeah, uh, you can follow me on Instagram at ted at flatriveroutfitters.com. Um, I guess there's no dot com. That'd be for the website. Um, so yeah, just um, at flat or sorry at Fla- flat river outfitters um, on Instagram, and that's pretty much where you'll find me. I don't do anything really on Facebook. So fair <laughs> enough. Again, man, uh, we we so appreciate you. We're glad you're here. Yeah, thanks again for having me. I really appreciate the time, and uh, just want to say. Uh, Make sure if you're not CPI, CPR certified, go learn CPR. You just never know when, uh, when you might need to use it. Sound advice. I actually got to go update my card now. So. Me too. All right. <laughs> Sounds good, man. Thanks. Thanks. See ya.